Father God, we pray you bless the reading of your holy word and that it would be sweet honey on our ears and on our lips. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you drive to my church, you pass uh, on the way there, you drive lots of windy roads, and along that trip, you find uh, right before you get to the church, you dead in into a T. Uh, if you kept driving, you're going to end up hitting a bunch of pine trees and going off a small ravine. And so you have to pick whether you're going to go right or you're going to go left. And uh, in life, uh, you know, we get this imagery uh, of going to have to choose one way or another way. Uh, we see in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, uh, the text says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, and the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Just like coming down through my, on the way to my church that I pastor, you're forced with a decision there at one point. And you're going to choose one way or the other. And in our lives, we also have a choice, so to speak. We're going to either serve God or we're not. And uh, from the beginning, we choose not to serve God. It's inevitable. We don't know Him. He has to reveal Himself to us. But along the way, we find that God uh, does do that. He opens up the skies and we see the stars and we know his existence. We look around and we see trees and we know he exists. Uh, By his grace we're given the written word of God that opens our minds to the truth of his gospel. Today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 1 and I'm hoping that by looking through this we will see an opening of God's good grace. I want you to look back at verse 1 with me. Uh, I want to just look at those first four words. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man for just a moment before we get into my points. Uh, I want to make sure we understand the idea behind the word blessed here uh, is simply uh, much like you would think most of the time that commonly the word blessed is associated as the redemptive presence of God. You know, I was at the associational meeting last night. I didn't have time to verify this, but it was a pretty good thought that uh, people in our military can't say bless you uh, openly. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was said because it's commonly associated with religion and with God, and they're not allowed to do that. Uh, If that's the truth, then... I could understand very full well why they think that that's the case because commonly it is associated with the redemptive presence of God, especially when you couple it here with the term uh, for man is ish, which portrays, a, uh, which portrays a representative example of not just a man but a godly man. And it could not just be a man but any single person at any single point of time. Uh, It's not necessarily narrowed down. 
I bring that up to our attention because it's important for us to see this idea of blessed being uh, not just happy or enjoyed. In Luke chapter 1, verse 42, uh, 40 through 42, it says this, In those days Mary arose and with haste went to went into the hill country to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Talking to Mary. And then she says, And blessed is the fruit of your womb. I want you to think about the idea of blessed today in that connotation that when she describes Jesus, when she tells Mary that she's blessed, she tells Mary she's blessed because of Jesus who's in her womb. And then when she says that Jesus is blessed, Jesus is not blessed by anything other than himself in that text. There's no other reason Jesus is blessed. When we look at our text today, I want us to think about this idea because when you read through the Psalms and you put together what's going on here, he's talking about righteous versus unrighteous. And he's talking about that the blessed man is the righteous man. And that is only achieved through Jesus Christ. Looking back at verse 1, I want to go ahead and start taking the text apart for you. Uh, It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The purpose here in in those two verses is this, that a godly person does not entertain unrighteousness, but always finds their pleasure in the instruction of the Lord. And let me ask you this, who can honestly say that they live up to that sort of a standard? Looking through all of history, none of you, none of me, no one has ever lived up to that except one person. And that's Jesus Christ. He is the blessed man. No one else has ever lived to that extreme. It says here that the unrighteous or the uh, they, they walk in the counsel of the wicked. They stand in the way of sinners and they sit in the seat of scoffers. What that is is an unrighteous, slippery slope. It's an unri- unrighteous, slippery slope. See, people start out walking in the advice of those who deliberately deviate from righteousness. Look at our nation right now. We're trying to elect one of two people to presidency who both walk in unrighteousness, openly. And yet people hover around them, taking their advice, looking to them as leaders. And then that's the first of the slippery slope. Once you get on that slope, it just is a downward effect. Then the the same people uh, that get under that counsel or under that advice, they go onward to committing and getting involved with those same sinners, committing their lives to working alongside them, doing business with them. 
becoming embedded in their culture. And then that slips down a little further and we finally find those same people rooted in an activity of participating by rejecting the truth and putting a negative spin on the truth of God. And if you're honest, I'll guarantee you'll find you've done this yourselves. When you see someone actively pursuing something that they feel God has called them to and you set out and maybe poked fun at it and mocked it as if it wasn't something from God. A few years ago, actually it was a lot of years ago, I went to camp out at Daniel Springs and they used to do this every now and then when they'd have a big, huge shipment of watermelons that was just kind of an overstock. They would lay out tarps of plastic and they would squirt baby oil all over them and it would be on a hill and you'd have to try and run up that hill carrying watermelons and you'd fall and you'd bust them and the watermelons would go all over you. And then when all the watermelons were busted and it was all done... Everybody would gather at the top of that thing and just run and slide down the hill and just see how far they could slide. It was a good, fun time. You know what I remember about that slide? Other than watermelon with baby oil tastes nasty. I remember this. It was always a lot easier to slide down that hill than it was to trek my way back up it. When I tried to come up the hill carrying the watermelon, that's when I'd fall and bust and the watermelon would break and that was the big laughter. But sliding down it, that was easy. You see that slippery slope? That's easy. It's easy to fall into sin. It's easy to let that become a slippery substance that takes you into a bad place in life where you're now mocking the Word of God and the truth of His Gospel. Righteousness, that's difficult to obtain. People often get pulled in a million directions only to find that pleasure in the Lord, only to find that the pleasure in the Lord's spot-on instruction is certainly difficult. That's the idea behind uh, this text here when he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. The law is, is the idea of that is God's spot on instruction. The pureness of it. That's hard to find pleasure in sometimes, isn't it? If you don't think it is, be called to do something you really don't want to do. The imagery here is pointing to never ending. It's never ending, this idea of thinking over and talking through on a daily, not only during the day, but at night, talking over and thinking through the instruction of the Lord. You know what I hear people talk about most of the time? The weather. That guy Dak playing for the Dallas Cowboys. 
how Tony Romo's not going to come back. That's what I hear people talking about. They're cows. I preach at a farming church, a ranching church. My point is, what is our thoughts? Where are they based? What is our concentration on? Is it on God? Is it on His law? Are we meditating on that? Or are we stuck on the things of this world? The idea here is not spending our time in vain contemplation of worldly pleasures. You see, the instruction of the Lord, the law, is the Word of God. I had you read earlier with me John chapter 1 verses 1 through 14, or actually 1 through 18, but I wanted to point out the idea of 1 through 14 is this, that Jesus is the Word. When you're concentrating on the Word, concentrating on the law of God, He is that law. Completeness of that law. And that your delight should be in anything that Jesus is proclaiming. Think about this. Jesus' first message in the book of Mark that He actually says out of His mouth comes in verse 15. After all the declaration from Mark of Jesus' authority and His rightship to be there, this is what He says. I want to read it for you. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance from our wicked, sinful, and possibly scornful lives. That's what he's talking about. The very thing we find way back here in Psalm 1 that these people have fallen into, Jesus is then calling them as His first mission to walk away from and to turn from. Not just turning from it, but turning to the pure, unadulterated, righteous instruction of the Lord. You know what the amazing thing is? That's what makes a man blessed. Is when they turn from their evil ways. And start delighting in the law of the Lord, in the Word, in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3 with me. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. You see, a godly person is continually refreshed and strengthened by the living water, that is, Jesus Christ, and is never moved by the winds of worldliness. See, in this text, a tree shows the firmness and the strength possessed by a godly person. You wonder why maybe he would ever mention a tree? 
I mean, next to streams of water, he could have mentioned anything. When I grew up, there were very few trees next to the water of the river because the river blank would wash the, the sand away and eventually erode the, the tree. But that's a river bank. He chooses a tree because it's the strongest and largest of all plants. He contrasts that very thought process up against chaff, which isn't even a total plant by itself. It's the remnants of a plant in which it's small and insignificant and very light in which he goes on to describe that it's a very lightweight product, the chaff that is carried away by even the lightest amount of wind. That same wind that causes the tree no harm at all has now carried the chaff away. John chapter 4. We read about Jesus a while ago going to the Samaritan woman and uh, speaks with her and he tells her he would give her living water or give her water that springs up to eternal life and that if she drank it she would never thirst again. I want you to think that that water and this water is the same water. Because what is that tree water, that, that stream of water going by that that root goes down into the soil and it sucks up the water from the soil and that tree's getting all the refreshment and nourishment that a tree needs to survive and grow big and strong. And what is Jesus promising the Samaritan woman there that if she drinks of that water it will quench her thirst with the refreshment of the water and it will nourish her to where she'll never have to have it again. Jesus here describes that to her. And you want to see something a little bit better than that? Look back at your text. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. That tree just didn't grow wherever it wanted to grow. It was purposefully put there. It was purposely put there. Not only was it purposely put there, many people would even go to the extent to say that it was transplanted to there. Transplanted to there. When I was a kid, my mom had, uh, my mom and dad had bought some land and uh, we built a little small house on it and we had our washing machine and stuff hooked up to a hose like a pipe that went outside and drained out on the ground. And I went down into the bottom of the property. They had bought 13 acres. And I went down into the bottom of the property, and uh, they had nice trees in the bottom. But when they dug out Lake Whitney, they had made the land where she had bought was a dumping ground, and they dumped all the old rocks. And then they just covered them up with dirt. And so there was nothing growing in that dirt except for uh, mesquite trees. You know, that's a real small, ugly tree. And my mom always wanted these big, nice oak trees because where we had moved from, there were real nice oak trees. Well, down in the bottom of the property where they had never put those rocks, there were big oak trees growing. And I went down there and I dug up some of them oak trees. 
that were real small. They were seedlings from them. And I transplanted them up to the house. And I carried them up there and I planted them in the ground. And every one of them died. Except the one I planted in that gray water drain. And it lived. And it grew. And it got bigger every year. And it continued to grow. Why? Because it was firmly planted where it could get the nourishment that it needed. That's the reason this man is blessed. He's firmly planted. My question is, are you firmly planted in the Word of God? Look at verse 5. It says, A godly person... I'm sorry. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the the way of the wicked will perish. A godly person will be able to stand in the judgment of the Lord and in the congregation of the righteous because he he is known by God and will never perish. See, the word standing here in the text, he says, therefore the wicked will not stand, gives the idea of belonging or coexisting, having the ability to congregate is the reason he uses that. The unrighteous do not have this ability to stand when it comes to the day of judgment. The Bible describes that when judgment day comes, what will happen? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The unrighteous are not able to stand in the congregation of the righteous. They don't belong there. And they never will as long as they're unrighteous. When we read Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, we read about the coming judgment, right? The coming judgment. And that judgment that was coming was upon them because of what reason? Because they were not upholding the teachings of the Lord. They did not feed, they did not clothe, they did not nourish, they did not visit the sick, they did not take care and love on those who Jesus was calling brother. They had a refusal, didn't they? They didn't want to do those things. The wonderful thing about the Lord is this. He knows you inside and out. The problem is, He knows whether you're righteous or not. He knows whether you're truthful or not. You may have everybody in this room fooled. You may have your spouse fooled. But you cannot fool God. You see, the unrighteous are not known by God. God knows the righteous through experience. God knows the righteous through His perception based on the context of their relationship with Him. 
want you to think about that for a second. This is not just experience. The idea is that he knows them also on the context of their relationship as it relates to him. If you ever meet people and you see them and you see the, the man and the, and the wife maybe and they're just, you just can't understand how they get along because he's so uh, mean and she's so nice or she's so mean and he's so nice. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I know you do. You see that and you just go, how did that happen? You know what I mean? Well, I have a feeling it, it comes down to something like this because they know each other and they know the circumstances around what's going on in each other's hearts. See, sometimes uh, since we're filled in here with a lot of ministers, sometimes we minister in church and we see people and we have to deal with people and they're quite difficult. And we love on them anyhow, right? We do because we're called to love them and somehow, some way, through God's grace, time goes on and we really do start loving people. And we really do genuinely care about them. And you know what I've found in my short pastorate of the last four years where I'm at? is that every person has a story. And every person has a circumstance. And standing on the off, I don't always know that. But when I get involved with people, suddenly who they are makes a whole lot more sense. Aren't you glad that God judges you on that sort of a standard, that He knows you like that? And He knows the circumstances around your sin and your difficulties and your struggles? The difficulty is he also knows when you're lying and when you're just in opposition and when you're just unrighteous and you're just self-seeking. I'm going to read you one more text here. It's out of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 23 says this. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So one day God is going to say, either I welcome you, or depart from me. And he's going to tell you either I have known you or I never knew you. And the truth is only those who know and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with authentic faith will be able to stand in the final judgment. I sure hope that's you today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll have another song. Father God, we come to you today and we pray, Father, that your word would ring clear in our hearts, in our ears, that, Father, we would turn in repentance uh, even if we feel we already know you, Father, but we would repent of those sins 
where we've returned to our old lifestyles and where we're not taking pleasure in all of your word and all of your instruction when we're not thinking it's all truly spot on. Father, I pray that you would be most glorified in the preaching of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.